I'm going to share a message on grace. We've been talking about grace for the last few weeks, uh, three weeks. There's one more message to follow. We're talking about discipleship. You feel like you're growing in discipleship yet? All right, a few of you are. The rest of you need to catch up, okay? Uh, because what we want to do is we want to be producers of the life of Jesus Christ. We want to produce life that God has given to us in other people. And so be aware of the people that God brings you into contact with, because if you know Christ as your personal Savior, you have a message for them. That sound right? So we're talking about amazing grace. There are actually three aspects of grace. Just to start with today, we want to share that with you. And the first aspect is prevenient grace. Uh, and this is a grace that God gives to us before we even come to salvation. I don't know about you, but if you look back on your life, I know that I, I was affected in many ways by the goodness and mercy of God. Before I ever came to Christ, God was working in me doing things in my life, bringing me in contact with people, that I might have an opportunity to surrender my life to Jesus. This is his active grace before we even come to know Jesus as our personal Savior. Following after that, of course, there is a justifying grace, and that's when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. We put our faith in him, we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, and I love the word justified because it means just as if I never sinned. That's an amazing statement. That's what he does. He comes and forgives us, cleanses us all of our sin. I remember, still remember the night that I, I gave my life to Jesus, and uh, I was told, according to the scripture, that I should confess my sin. Well, I was only 17 at the time, but I could remember a lot of stuff. And uh, so it took me about 20 minutes, literally, to confess my sin. Uh, and so I went through everything that I could remember. I could remember everything, but I remembered a lot. And I confessed my sin to him, and then I said, I receive you as my Lord and Master. I felt so free. I've never felt so free before that. I mean, freedom came in my life, and justification came. I didn't know that word at the time. But uh, things began to happen in my life that had never happened before. I mean, my life was turned around. It was turned toward Jesus, turned toward God, and uh, life began to flow within me. And then, of course, the third one is what we really want to talk about, and that is sanctifying grace. This is our message for today. It's a talk about a growing relationship with Jesus. If you're, if you're sanctified, it means you're literally set apart for the purposes of God. Set apart for the purposes of God. That's what he wants to do. He wants to set us apart to belong to him. And in that process, and it is a process, it is a procedure, but from salvation all the way to the place where I'm going to then see Jesus face to face, there's something that happens in here. And we need to pay a lot of attention to what happens at that particular place. Because it's salvation that justifies us. And it's then the growing process in a relationship with Jesus that is so very important. Can't put enough emphasis on that. And so we're going to talk about that whole process of sanctification today. Uh, do you know that you're sanctified? A few of you do. Okay. That's good, <laughs> because we are, we're set apart for the purposes and the plans of God. The Bible says, I no longer belong to myself, I belong to Him. 
in the process here. There are things that happened to us. I'd like to just tell you a couple stories. Uh, one is about, about a uh, pastor down in, in the south. His name is Clyde Turner. And uh, they had a boy in their Sunday school class that was a real terror. I don't know if you know anybody like that, but he wouldn't listen. He wouldn't cooperate. He wouldn't do anything that the teachers wanted him to do. And uh, then he just kind of disappeared. And Dr. Taylor said, I'm really kind of ashamed of this, but uh, nobody went after him to bring him back. <laughs> he was just gone, and we kind of felt, ah, the Sunday school can, can continue in peace. And then one day, after a service, here came that little boy running down the aisle, and he had an instrument in a case under his arm. And he came right up to Dr. Turner, and he says, Dr. Turner, I was given this fiddle for being good. And Dr. Turner thought in his mind, he says, First of all, I don't know why anybody would give you a fiddle. I mean, he was a young boy. He couldn't play the fiddle. But he said, mostly, I can't believe anybody would give you a fiddle for being good. And that kind of came over Dr. Turner's face. And the little boy turned around and he said, you know, I didn't used to be so good. But now I'm gooder than I was before. Dr. Turner said, I think we need to all be gooder than we were before. That's the process that God is taking us through. He's taking us into a place of being gooder, being better. Uh, I, I, I know when I, I remember when I turned 60, and by the way, it doesn't matter, but my birthday was this last week, and, and I'm getting older and older. But I remember when I had turned 60 a long time ago uh, that I told the, the staff that I was looking forward to becoming 60. Because when you get older, you get better. Amen? You, you, get, you get better because God's changing us and He's bringing us on that pathway to be more like Him. And that's what He's doing in our life. That's what sanctification means. And they, they all kind of look at me and say, you're not really happy about that, are you? I said, yeah, the older I get, the more blessed I am. That sounds good. Some of you still don't believe that, but that's what happens. He's taking us into his process, and he's bringing us along. Well, there's another story I need to tell you about a little girl. Uh, she wasn't too little. She was in her teens, but she came to know faith. And Jesus Christ gave her life to the Lord. She went for baptism and then for membership. And so one of the deacons was talking to this girl and said, Well, let me just ask you a question. Before you came to salvation, were you a sinner? And she said, Oh, yes, I was. I was a sinner. Says, okay, well, now since salvation, uh, are you still a sinner? And she says, well, let me think about that. You know, I don't really know how to express this, but the best way probably is to say that, yeah, I'm still a sinner. He says, how can you be asking for membership if you're still a sinner? He says, well, I don't know how to explain it. She said, except I used to be a sinner running after sin. But now I'm saved, and I'm a sinner running away from sin. Some of you will get that later. But uh, anybody here without sin? Wait a minute. This is a Christian church, isn't it? You're supposed to be free of sin. You're supposed to be sanctified and made whole and made right. Well, we are, but we're a 
in that process of sanctification. And sometimes we get so discouraged because we fail in the process. We fail in this procedure that God has given to us. I remember not too long after I was born again that I, I came to the Lord and I had asked for forgiveness on one particular aspect of my life over and over and over again. And finally, after one evening service, I went forward, I knelt down and said, God, I can't ask you to forgive me again. I just can't. I've asked you too many times. I didn't hear a voice, but I felt what God was wanting to say to me. He says, as often as you come to me, he says, if you'll confess your sin to me, I'll be faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Even before I confessed my sin that night, he said, I want to forgive you. All along the pathway, we're going to make mistakes. I don't know about you, you could get so discouraged. I know some people get discouraged with, with their failures, and they say, I, I don't want to even go to church because I just can't do this thing. I can't do this Christian thing. Well, that's what grace is all about. The amazing grace of God has come to us so that we can be born again and be justified as though I'd never sinned before. And now he's in the process of working that holiness into our lives where I can become holy as he is holy. Is that okay? That's even in the Old Testament. God said to Israel, you need to be holy as I am holy. Wow. Holy as God. I mean, there is no sin in him. There's no unrighteousness in him. There's no failures in him. I mean, he is perfect. And yet he calls us to holiness. He calls us to righteousness. He calls us to be like him. That's why we're called Christians. You know, the Christians went up to Antioch from Jerusalem, began to share the gospel up there, and the church began to come alive, and the people outside of the church said, oh, those are just little Christ. And they called them, they called them Christians for the first time in Antioch. And the church said, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> Let's call ourselves Christians, little Christ, because that's what we are. And so when you're justified, you're made like unto the Lord. You're not perfect yet. And then also be perfect, the Bible says, until we see him face to face. Then we're going to be fully changed and be made like unto him. Hallelujah. That's where we're headed. But right now, we need to cleanse our lives. We need to go through the process and see that he has a plan and a purpose for us. There's a scripture back in chapter 6 of Romans I'd like to read to you. It may sound very difficult, but it says here, <clears throat> verse 14 and 15, it says, For sin shall not master over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. It's not going to master you. You may have a problem with sin, but it's not going to master you. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. I can just stop here and say, in the church of Jesus Christ, I'm not just talking about Grace Point, but I'm talking about churches all across this country. There seems to be an attitude of, yeah, we're not going to be perfect in this life, so let's just do whatever we want, and then come and ask God to forgive us. And then you start doing that, and then you start enjoying those pleasures that the devil brings along, and you don't bother coming back to ask forgiveness. There's not that transformation. So 
He's called us saying, may this never be. Don't go back to your old way of living. Continue on the process of holiness. Get your life straightened out and, and see the glories of God's amazing grace because it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. Well, let me take you to Titus because that's going to be our main section of Scripture today that we're going to talk about. Titus <clears throat> chapter number 2, verses 11, right on through verse 14. It says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Underline that, all men. That's Jesus came, that the whole world might be saved. Not just some, but he comes, he's that prevenient grace, he's working in everybody, that everybody might come to salvation. Verse 12 says, Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Hallelujah. Well, if we can just accomplish that, and if you like memorizing scripture, I'd say those four verses are worth memorizing because that will take you through the process of what God is doing in sanctifying our lives. He's bringing us to the place of actually enjoying the fullness of his word and of his life. So let's start here with grace instructs us to deny ungodliness. If you are in grace, if you had your sins forgiven, then God sends his Holy Spirit in our lives that we might be taught how not to yield to ungodliness. There's a scripture in 1 Thessalonians 1.9 that I put in your notes, and that Paul writing to uh, the Thessalonians, he said, what we hear about you is that how you, your story is you've turned to God from idols. He said, that's a wonderful testimony. You turn to God from idols. And then a scripture that I put up here is from Jude. It says, the Lord came to convict all of the ungodly of all of their ungodly deeds. These are grumblers. Hmm. I just thought I'd pause there. Uh, it says, fault finders, following after their own lust, they speak arrogantly flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. When we confess our sins to him and recognize what the scripture is telling us, we need to deny ungodliness. We need to turn away from that. We need to make a decision. If you're sanctified for the purpose of God, God has a plan and a purpose for you to be fulfilled in this life, then we need to deny anything that isn't godly. If you're allowing ungodly things to go on in your life, then you're going to get stuck. You're going to get stuck, and you're not going to be able to move forward like God has his plan for you. And so denying ungodliness is a very important part of our lives. The second part, he says, to deny ungodliness and worldly desires. And I put... Uh, First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll read that in a minute, but let me put what's up here on the screen from John chapter number 2. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. 
If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Anybody like this world that we're living in? We're not supposed to, are we? And yet there's so many nice things in this world. Somebody was telling me the other day they took somebody to a hardware store. It was Lowe's. They had never been in a hardware store, ever, in their life. They started looking around and said, what is all this stuff? This is stuff to fix up our houses. But it's so big. There's so many things here. We don't have all this stuff in our house. Well, no, but this is the fixed stuff in your house. And the add stuff in your house. There's so many things, not just hardware. <laughs> not just things for your home. I don't know if you've been attracted to any cars lately, but they're getting better and better and better. I've actually been used, looking for some used cars, and I see cars for 230,000 miles on it that they still want several thousand dollars for. I said, what are these people thinking? This car, I mean, when I was growing up, if a car lasted 100,000 miles, it was a good car. Tell how old I am. They've been fixing things so much nicer that they run 200, 300, some 400 and 500,000 miles. It's amazing. I can, I'm old. I can't believe all that stuff. But anyway, <laughs> uh, God does amazing things <clears throat> in our life. But there's a lot of things in the world that we need to turn away from. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 6 is that list. Let me just go back and read the list. We don't hear much about this. But the Bible is very clear, starting in chapter 6, verse 9. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, that's a big word, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor feminine, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And it says in verse 11, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Hallelujah. That's where we used to be, but we've been cleansed from that. So it's, it's not the world that attracts us anymore. It's something else. It's God. In fact, the Word of God says, Seek those things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now, some of you are saying, you know, that sounds really over-spiritual to me. How are we supposed to live in this world and seek just those things where the Father is and where Jesus is? Well, you'll be a lot better off if you look to Jesus rather than look into the world. This world has so many things in it that are deceptive. Those three things that are mentioned there <coughs> in John chapter 2 and verse number 15. It says, don't love the world. It says, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life or the pride of possessions. Christians ought to look at this once in a while and say, what am I really doing? God's sanctifying me. He's taking me from here, being justified. And he's bringing me to a place where I'm going to be holy as he is holy. I've only got a few years left. Some of you have more than I do. 
depending. I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, as we grow on this ladder, coming closer and closer to Jesus, we're going to be there for a long time. Forever and ever and ever. I don't know if you can comprehend that, but I don't think I can. Forever and ever and ever to be in the presence of God. He's making a new world and a new place and a new home for us to dwell in. Our life here is so short compared with the life that He has given to us. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But when you think about that, it has an effect on what you appreciate and what you like and what you don't like. Like is a better word than the word love anyway. You know that? When I talk to couples and I say, you know, is there anything you don't like about one another? I say, oh, yeah, I can make a list. <laughs> I said, well, that's more important than love. Well, I love this person. Well, you want to marry that person? Yeah, I just don't like some things. You know you're never going to be able to change that person. That isn't in the process. God has to change that person if they're going to change it. He's in charge of that and you're not. So what you like in this world and what you don't like is very important. And so don't deny ungodliness. Deny the worldly things around us. That's what Titus is saying. And then he goes on and gives us some instructions. After that, he says, after that instruction, he says then, live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Now, let's just take a minute think about sensibly. There's a lot of scriptures on that. If you have a concordance, you can look up sensibly, and there's a lot of things that are there. But going back to Romans chapter number 6 again, <clears throat> the next verse after Romans uh, 6, 14 and 15 says this in verse 16. Do you not know that to the one who joins himself, oh, am I reading the right one? Yes, I am. I don't think that's what I want to say right now, though. 16, I'm sorry, yes. Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one. I'm in Corinthians, I'm sorry. I thought that didn't sound right. Okay, verse 16 in Romans 6. Do you not know, it starts with the same thing. Do you not know that when you present yourselves, let me just stop there and say, we are constantly presenting ourselves. You know that? You present yourself every morning when you wake up and you look in the mirror. And you say, ah, oh, needs to change a little bit. And then you fix yourself up, and then you get dressed and you come to church. And you look pretty good. Not bad. What do we do when we present ourselves? Do you not know that when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God, though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. So present yourself to what? You're going to obey one master, or another one. You're either going to obey the demons within you and the world out there, or you're going to obey Jesus. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, he has a lot of things for you to consider. Sometimes we think that, well, the Old Testament had ten commandments. Do you know how many commandments are in the New Testament? 
Have you read the epistles lately? Almost every verse gives us direction how to live our lives. And we're either going to obey these scriptures that he's given to us, or we're going to do our own thing. But we were saved from our own thing. We were delivered from that. And now we want to do the thing that God has for us. And so live your life sensibly. Sensibly read the word of God. Sensibly give yourself, present yourself to that. I think about the Great Commission here. Go and make disciples in all of the world. And then it says, teaching them to observe or obey all of the things that I have commanded you. We're supposed to make disciples of others. And the way we do that is instruct them, teach other people how to follow the laws that God has given to us. How to live a holy life. How to live a righteous life. And I'm committed to that. And so I want to help other people to grow in the things of God so that they might learn how wonderful Jesus is and how he can get us through so many circumstances. He goes on and he says, and to live righteously. In the next two verses, 17 and 18, it says, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were commanded, committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. How many like being slaves? I can't see because of that bright light back there. I don't, I don't see many hands. When we come talking about slavery, say, oh, no, 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 we're not going to talk about slavery. Well, the Bible talks about slavery. You're going to serve some master. What master are you going to serve? That's all. You're either going to serve sin or you're going to get rid of that and you're going to serve righteousness, holiness, the living God. That's why we're gathered together here today to say, I want to live for Jesus. I want him to rule in my life. You know, sometimes I talk about our lives and what's going on. You know, the Bible's very clear. When you come to receive Jesus Christ, this is why we baptize people. You died to yourself. Some people still don't get that even after baptism. They're still living for themselves. But Jesus says, you belong to me. He says, I Receive me, you acknowledge me, and the name you call me is Lord. You know what that means? I mean, we serve committees, Congress, and a president. But if you were over in some of the other countries, they have kings. You know the difference between serving a king and serving in a democracy like we do? If you say anything against the king, No, no, no court, no, no, no testimonies of how good you are. You're just gone. That's kingship. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. But he comes in mercy and amazing grace <laughs> to forgive us if we'll but acknowledge that, to live righteously. And it goes on in verse 22, down at the bottom of that chapter, it says, But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. Hallelujah, that's where we're headed. 
And so Titus is saying, all of this is wrapped up in these few words here. Grace instructs us to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And then he doesn't stop there, but he goes on. And there in Titus, he talks to us about our life and the hope that he has given to us. And so let me turn here, if I can get back to Titus. And chapter number 2 where he says in verse number 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, means that he owns us, zealous for good deeds. And I thought those four things, if we could just concentrate on that, is that he, this hope that is given to us, that hope should drive us. If we're seeking those things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, that's our hope. That's our eternal welfare. That's our eternal life. So what does that mean to us now? Well, these four things. He's redeemed us from every lawless deed. Every lawless deed. Not some, but every. He purifies us for his people and for his purpose. He comes and cleanses us, purifies us. That's what the blood of Jesus does. He gives us a Christ-like identity, meaning that I become his possession, meaning that I already belong to him, and he's in the process of changing me by the sanctification process to be like unto him. That's what he's doing. He gives us that a love for one another. Stop here and say the Bible, my Bible at least says, zealous for good deeds. Zealous means you're desiring to do good deeds. Who for? Everybody around you. Let's start with husbands and wives. Husbands, your job is to take care of your wife and to make sure all of her needs are met. That's what you're there for. You're not there to be blessed by her. You're there to minister to her. You're there to lift her up. You're there to show her the goodness of God. And wives, by the way, you're there not for yourself, but you're there for him. You're there for your husband. Zealous for good deeds. If you can't do it to one another in a marriage, how are you going to do it for other people? Are you going to be able to do it for other people? We all have families. Friends, we all have acquaintances. Are you zealous for good deeds for them? Do you love them like you love Jesus? There's only two commandments, you know. Love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and then love others as you love yourself. That's what he's saying to us in this sanctification process is we love other people and we serve other people. We actually Look for ways how I can help other people. Pastor Dan changes our process as membership. Uh, one thing that you need to do before you can become a member of Grace Point now is you need to serve on a Sunday morning. You need to do something. Thank you. You need to do something that will help others around you. So we have ushers, we have uh, all kinds of people greeting, we have people out in the lobby at the desk, we have people in, in Sunday school, we have people in the nursery, we have all kinds of places for people to start to serve, because that's what God calls us to do. 
calls us to be zealous for good deeds. If you come in the doors and you then sit down and enjoy the worship and enjoy the service, and then you walk out without serving anybody, why? Are you blessing yourself? I guess so. I hope so. But if that doesn't lead you when you go home to your family to bless them, if that doesn't lead you to bless your co-workers and to see what way you can help them, let me just tell you one simple story. I don't know how much time I got here. I need to keep going. I worked in a grocery store when I was going to Bible college, and there was a guy there that I really didn't like. Didn't like him at all. Talk about loving him? No. Good deed for him? No. And I'm praying for him one day. I said, I don't know what to do with this guy. Just, I don't like him. And so God says, well, just listen. That's what he said. And then I heard him whistling in the back room. I went over to him and I said, you know what? I really like the way you whistle. He said, really? I said, yeah, I've been listening to you whistle. And you whistle while you work. You know, there's something about that. And I really like that. He became one of my best friends at work. One little word, thinking about somebody else rather than ourselves, changes the whole circumstance. So he calls us to come and actually take the hope that God has given to you and let that go on to other people. Well, let me give you some scriptures on applying this kind of sanctification life. And there's a bunch of them. I only wrote down a few. First of all, 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 10. Each one has received a gift. And then it says, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold. That means many, many, many aspects of grace. The manifold grace of God. So as you take, you've been given a special gift. So employ it. Put it to work. The gift that God has given to you. Some people just like to talk, 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 talk. I know you. I listen to you. And it's good. And you need to use those words to bless other people. Some of you don't like to talk at all. You like to just come in and go out without talking. But something is in your heart as to how you can still help people without talking to them. Our technicians don't talk a lot. You can serve back there. Cameras, they don't talk a lot. They, they're just busy doing what they're doing. There's all kinds of things that he's gifted us with. And so let's employ our gifting. If you don't know what your gift is, look at Ephesians uh, chapter number 12. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. Look at, at Ephesians in chapter number 4. All of those are listings of gifts that God has blessed us with. So find your gift and, and get busy. Put it to work. The next one, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 10, it says, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of grace who called you to be his, to, to his eternal glory in Christ will himself, listen to this, perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you have suffered for a little while. Aren't you glad they put that in there? You're going through life and it's not easy. I mean, in a little life sometimes isn't easy. You're going through difficult times, and you say, why am I going through this? Every suffering that has been given to us is supposed to equip us to handle life in a better way. I talked to somebody just the other day, and, and they were going through a problem. 
I said, you need to find somebody else with a bigger problem than you. <laughs> and go and help them with their problem. And as you help them with their, their problem, your problem's going to go away. That's just the way it works. Other people are going through more difficulties than you are. So let's, let's, let's look, look out for people. Let's start serving people. And after you've suffered for a little while, what's God going to do? He's going to perfect you. He's going to confirm you. He's going to strengthen and establish you. You like that promise? I think that ought to be a good one, right? Here's another one. Paul's thorn in the flesh in First, Second Corinthians chapter 15. It says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. You see, when difficulties come, when a thorn in the flesh comes... You know, Paul had this thorn on the flesh. You can read the few verses before that. And he was serious about this. He went to God. He says, you know, God, this, this thorn in my flesh, it might have been his eyesight when he was blinded by that great light that came on the way to Damascus. I think from there on, he couldn't see real well. And I, I think he wanted to get rid of that thorn. I don't know whether that was it. But anyway, he prayed about that, and God says, my grace is sufficient for you. He said, God, could I, could I not get rid of this? And he prayed a second time. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. He prayed a third time. He said, God, can you take this out of my life? I, I'd like to be able to, to see better. And God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And so he then reads this. Okay, power is perfected in weakness. <laughs> I'm going to be content with my difficulty here. I'm going to be content with my struggles. I'm going to be content when I go through these kind of problems. How many content people do we have here today? Hallelujah. One, two, three, four, five, six. They're counting up. What about the rest of you? And see a lot of other hands. This is what Paul learned. This is the enabling grace of God that whatever you go through, God has a purpose and a plan for that. He really does. If you get sick, thank you, Jesus. Not for the sickness, but for what he's going to do through that. You go through a difficulty in life and you say, thank you, Jesus, you work all things together for good. To those who love you, I call according to your purpose. Hallelujah. And you go through times of difficulty, but God's going to always be there. He's going to pour out his power upon you. He's going to strengthen you. He's going to renew your faith in him. And you're going to be content even in the midst of If you don't have enough money, money for what? I need money for Do you really? I don't know if you need money or not. God knows. He knows you can go through times of Having no money. <laughs> Tell you a story, but I better keep going. Difficulties, problems, all of these things are good for us. They're the sanctification process leading us to holiness in living for Him. Here's another one. In First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
and his grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. I read something on Facebook this last week, and I thought it was great. It says, the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. A real difference in there. Amazing thing that God has given to us. I am what I am. Are you satisfied with who you are? Are you satisfied with God bringing you to the place and to the time and to the season that God has brought you to? Are you content in that? Let me tell you, it can be. It's a wonderful thing. God enables you by His grace. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord and the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. He's changing us from glory to glory into His likeness and into His image. Is that okay with you? Hallelujah. Do we have to go through problems and difficulties for that? I thought when I first got saved, I said, everything's going to be perfect from now on. I, I, no problems. Jesus is the Lord of my life. He's going to see me through everything. And that lasted for about two weeks. And then stuff started to happen. I said, wait a minute, Jesus, you saved me. You, you brought me into a family of God. You, I mean, you're my Lord and King. Now, how can stuff go wrong? And he says, just hang in there. I'm teaching you. I'm instructing you. I'm bringing you to a place of glory. Hallelujah. One more that I didn't put in your notes there, but I have it. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to do that, to find grace to help us in time of need. Anybody agree with that? We need to find this kind of grace, this sanctifying grace that will take us higher, lead us beyond our problems and difficulties, that we'd be able to glory in God no matter what's happening in our life, no matter what's happening in our family, no matter what's happening in our checkbook, no matter what's happening with ex explosions out of the 4th of July, but the car and all of the other things that happen. Can we do that? No situation is too big for God to handle. None. Is he bigger than your situation? He sure is. If you think that you've run so far away that God can't reach you, you're wrong. If you think you've kind of done it all and you you turned away from God, let me tell you, God is still chasing after you. He really is. His grace is available to you right now. He wants an amazing grace just to flood your life, to perfect, to strengthen you, to take you from one level of glory to another one. That's what he's doing. Now let me just give you one more slide. The grace of God can save us, but only if we respond to it. Salvation is free. All you have to do is ask grace to come into your life. Pastor Sal talked about that last week. Surrender your life to Jesus. The grace of God can sustain you, but only... If you trust it, faith is what we need to continue. And the grace of God can sanctify us, but only if we surrender to His grace. He will see you through it all. Let me tell you, we're all going to come to the end of our life, and we're all going to come to the throne room of Jesus Christ. If you're 
been saved and you're born again, then eternity awaits you. Continue to let that hope spur you on, draw you on to all of the blessings that God has for you. Is it going to be without problems and difficulty in this life? No. You're going to have problems. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have a segment of times. And yet God's going to be in it all if you will find His grace to help in time of need. And He says, I came to give you that now. Stand with me. We're going to worship in a minute. But stand with me and turn your life over to the Lord. Surrender to Him. No matter what difficulty you're going through, what problem you're going through, Jesus already knows it. And let me just give you one more promise. He says, before you ask, He'll send the answer on the way. Before you even mention a prayer request again, God has promised to send the answer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for the transforming power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you do everything for our good, that you might be glad.